Worship director here at Harvest, I'm typically up there, not down here. So if I look a little shorter, that's why. <laughs> Lost a few inches of stage. Uh, you know, I asked Jill this morning to sing that song specifically because I think it asks some questions that are very fundamental to who we are as people, especially for those of us who are doing this thing of trying to live in relationship with God. We've, uh, we've heard a lot in these last few weeks about the holiness of God, about the greatness of his character. As Pastor Tim walked us through the None Greater series, we were blown away by a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and who wants us to encounter him, to be with him. Question, how, how do we do that? How do we actually accomplish that? God, God is holy and, and I, am, I am decidedly not holy. So how is that possible that I could ever be in the presence of God? I'll be honest, for a long time, I think I had a very wrong picture of what this looks like. I got that picture, I think, not from Scripture, not from what God had said, but from a movie. Uh, it was a movie that I loved as a kid, uh, but rarely got to see. The movie was The Wizard of Oz. And uh, this will be really strange to those of you that are a lot younger than I am. Um, but when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, you got one chance a year to see The Wizard of Oz. Okay, It was shown on TV annually one time a year, and that time was typically on Wednesday nights. A problem, we had church on Wednesday nights. Uh, my mom thought this was a conspiracy, I think, by networks to keep kids from going to church. Um, but you, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't watch it on demand, you couldn't DVR it, you couldn't catch it later on cable... You couldn't even, you couldn't go rent the Blu-ray or even tape it on your beta recorder yet. You couldn't do that. You had one chance, and if you weren't home at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, you just didn't get to watch The Wizard of Oz. Somehow in the midst of that, some, through those obstacles, I managed to watch it a couple times. I think there was probably sickness involved, and don't tell my mom, but there might have been fake sickness involved one of those times. But but in this movie, there is a scene that I think shaped my thinking about what this encounter with God would look like. Uh, there is this uh, a scene where they have gone through this epic journey to get to the land of Oz. And, and then Dorothy and her companions, the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion, they finally make it in to see the wizard. They walk down these long, winding hallways to get to this massive throne room where they finally and fearfully approach the powerful and great Oz. What they find there is really a pretty creepy scene. There's this giant disembodied head. There's fire. There's smoke. There's this big booming voice that wants nothing to do with them except to yell at them and berate them and remind them how they don't belong there. They're not worthy to be in the presence. Instead of helping them in any way, he just gives them a seemingly impossible job to do and again reminds them they don't belong there and then sends them on their way. This whole experience is, is so frightening, so horrifying to the lion that he can't even wait to be dismissed and just goes tearing off down the hallway and out the window. Okay, is that your picture of what it would look like to come into the presence of God? Because I think that was mine for a while. I think that was the visual in my head when I thought about being with God. Or maybe you have the opposite. You see God as the uh, man behind the curtain that the wizard is eventually shown to be. There's no reason to fear him at all because he's just this wimpy little guy with a bag of tricks and a lot of smoke and mirrors. He is completely approachable, probably even correctable. 
Let me just say that neither of those pictures is really particularly helpful. Um, first, never take your theology from a movie from the 30s. Bad plan, okay? <laughs> and second, because God has already shown us in his word how he is to be approached and what it means to come into his presence. Okay, why should we care? I mean, this is already starting to sound kind of complicated, sounding like it might be a lot of work. Is it even worth going after to seek the face of God? I think I'm doing okay right now to live for him. And besides, that all sounds kind of strange and mystical. Okay, four quick things. Four quick things, all straight from Scripture, that we find in the presence of God. Exodus 33:14. In his presence, we find rest. Are you tired? Are you stressed? Are you worn out? In his presence, there's rest. Secondly, Acts 3.20 tells us that in his presence, we can find a time of refreshing. Are you feeling like you're just going through the motions of life or that your walk with Christ is getting stagnant? Spend time in his presence and be refreshed and renewed. Third, uh, 1 Chronicles 16.27 says that where God is, we will find strength. So time in his presence empowers us to live for him. And finally, Psalm 16.11 says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Okay, and this isn't the, uh, you know, I've had a light snack, I'm kind of full. That's not, that's not the kind of full we're talking about here. Okay, this is, I'm having to back out of the barbecue joint because they just used a garbage can lid to bring my food. I ate a, a rack of ribs that looked like it belonged to Fred Flintstone. That kind of full. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bust. I can't take another bite. Full. And it's a fullness of joy available in the presence of God. So what do you think? Does that sound like that's worth going after this morning? Is that worth looking at? Okay, we're going to look today at Psalm 24. Uh, the ushers are going to come down the aisle. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in your hand today, we'd like to get one in your hand so we can just follow through this passage as we're going to work through Psalm 24. Uh, I've joked with a couple people, two years ago I preached Psalm 23, and now today I'm preaching Psalm 24. So I'm just continuing in a series... <laughs> That I'm, I'm hoping to complete around 2300 or so. So I hope you're around for Psalm 150. It should be awesome. Okay, we're going to look today at what it means to, for us as fragile and imperfect people to come into the presence of an indescribably holy God. Psalm 24 was written by David when he was the king of the Israelites. We think most likely it was written to commemorate and celebrate the moment of the return of the Ark of the Covenant, which had long represented the presence of God among his people. But it wasn't just symbolic, though. It didn't just represent. It, it, somehow there was an actual manifested presence of God there, so much so that to be in the presence of the Ark was to be in the presence of God. Now, David had established Jerusalem now as the new capital and center of the kingdom, and he was bringing the ark, which at one point had been captured by enemies and then kind of hidden away in obscurity for a while. He was now bringing it back to take its rightful place at the center of the kingdom. This was a big moment. Okay, this was, this was the moment, if you remember, that David got in trouble with his wife because he was so pumped about this, so excited about the ark being brought to Jerusalem that he danced before the Lord in a way that his wife thought was inappropriate and undignified for a king. Okay, 
big moment. It was in that moment that David, we believe, wrote these words. Psalm 24. Let's just begin there in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Okay, here's our first step. If we want to enter into the presence of God, we have to recognize God's authority. Recognize God's authority. See, it says here that the, the earth is, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Remember the word fullness. We just talked about that. Okay. Every bit busting at the seams, every little bit, the earth belongs to the Lord. Every tree is his, every blade of grass is his, the Grand Canyon, the Pacific Ocean, every nook and cranny, it's his, all of it. Okay, guess, I, I guess I can accept that. I can accept that God owns all the stuff around me. That, that makes sense. Hold on. It, it gets a little more personal here. Okay, the world and those who dwell therein. Those who dwell... Um, Oh, wait a minute. Um, let's do a quick show of hands of everyone who lives, who dwells here in East Peoria. Lives in East Peoria. Okay, there's a few. Uh, a quick show of hands now of everyone who lives uh, on the earth. Yeah, that's pretty much all of us, right? That's, that would be all of us. Okay, newsflash. We belong to him. Okay, you belong to him. He has authority over us all of us it doesn't say that the earth is the lord's and all of those who choose to accept his authority okay salvation isn't a prerequisite acknowledgement of god is not a prerequisite for his authority over your life oh it doesn't sound fair i don't know how can that be okay look at verse two what's it say for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers So why does God have authority over all the earth? Because he created it. He built it. He established the foundations of the earth. So he has full claim on it. Why does he have authority over me? Because he created me. Now, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, you have the privilege of not only being created by him, but also purchased by him, redeemed by him. So he owns you twice. And we as believers, we have to understand and embrace that. Embrace that he is our Lord and our King and that our lives belong to him. But even if you haven't accepted Christ this morning, if you have resisted this idea of someone having any kind of power or control over your life, you need to understand this morning that you still belong to him. He still has authority over your life because he lovingly and carefully fashioned you together for his purposes. The earth is the Lord's. Now, I have very creative kids. They, um, they like to write stories. They, they like to draw pictures. They make movies. And one of the things they've done a few times over the years is, is create new games. Um, a couple of times they've actually made new board games. They've drawn up the whole, the, the whole board and they've made the markers and the, they established the rules, the guidelines, and, and they would sit and play this game. Now, if, if I'm going to sit and play the game with them, I, I have to follow the rules they made because it's their game. I, I can't move my piece seven places to the left if the rules say you can only move to the right and only one piece at a time. I don't have the right to do that because I don't have the authority over the game that they created. 
The earth belongs to the Lord. And he alone has that kind of authority over it. He decides the boundaries. He decides the rules. Oddly enough, the world even recognizes some of these rules. We just call them things like gravity. And ironically, Newton's laws. Okay, we give Newton the credit. Newsflash, Newton didn't create those laws. Okay, it just took us thousands of years to figure out what God had been doing all along. The earth is the Lord's. We need to recognize this morning his authority over it and recognize his authority over us. Secondly, if we want to enter into the presence of God, we have to meet the standard. To meet the standard. This is one of those places where uh, God has clearly established a guideline and a standard. If we are going to come into his presence, we're going to have to meet the standard that he set out. Okay, so let's look in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? So we're asking the question, what's the standard? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. This, this section starts with a couple of questions, right? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and, and then who shall stand in his holy place? Okay, remember the context of this, this psalm. It's talking about the ark, concerned with the ark, the very presence of God being brought into Jerusalem. They're, they're bringing the ark, setting it in a tent, waiting for the time when the temple was going to be built by David's son, Solomon. So when David writes, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He's asking, who, who thinks they are worthy to stand in the presence of God? Who will climb the hill to the tent of the ark and stand before the one who owns all and has authority over it all? Okay, the ark here, you have to understand, it had some serious history. It had spent years in the, the holy of holies in the tabernacle where only the high priest could go and even there only very rarely. There was great power in the ark. The Israelites had carried it into battle as a representation of God just going before them. And time and time again, they had won. You didn't mess around with the ark. At one point, the the Philistines managed to capture the ark and take it back, probably trying to figure out how to siphon the power out of this thing. And they took it and laid it at the feet of their god, Dagon, thinking apparently that by osmosis, Dagon would become more powerful with this sitting there. Well, they went to bed and woke up the next day and Dagon is flat on his face. Statue had fallen. So brilliantly, they thought, let's try that again. That might work the second time. So they they placed the ark back there. They hoisted the statue back up, went to bed. and, And next day, I think God had enough of that. So Dagon was not only flat on his face. His head was broken off. His hands were broken off. The, the people of the town began to, to, to create tumors in their bodies and, and people began to die. Philistines had had enough. I mean, we have stolen your favorite thing, the thing you hold most precious, but take it back. We want nothing to do with this thing. There was awesome power in the presence of God. This wasn't even the first time David had tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Just three months prior to this, they had attempted to bring it on a cart. The cart had begun to tip 
and in an effort to keep the ark from falling, someone had just reached out, touched the ark, and instantly died. You didn't mess around with the ark. This was the moment of the disembodied head, fire, smoke, booming, fearful presence of God. So I imagine when this call went out, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? You could probably hear crickets in that place. Okay, you saw a lot of guys kind of doing the, you know, don't want to get called on in class, kind of move. The, no, not me. That was, that was my cousin that just reached out and touched the thing and he died. Okay, I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've seen that dude's face melt and that was nasty. I don't want to be anywhere near that thing. Okay, but, but look here. Look, David wasn't just, he wasn't just content to, to merely peek into the presence of God. Or catching a quick glimpse of God out of the corner of his eye. Okay, look here in verse 3. What does it say that he wants? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall, what? Who shall stand in his holy place? He wants to dwell there. He wants to stand and dwell in the presence of God. Reminds me of Psalm 84, that my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. And a day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. Remember, it is there where we find rest and strength and joy. But who? Who can? Who can go into the presence of God? And how do we prepare ourselves to go there? How do we take advantage of this amazing opportunity that has been placed in front of us? Okay, let's look at verse 4 and and begin to look here. This is the, the standard. Okay, this is the picture of the righteous man who can go before the Lord. Verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is the picture. This is the standard of the one who can go before God. It's a picture of holiness. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no man can see God. It makes sense. It's what we said before, right? God is holy. If we're going to go into his presence, we would have to be holy. But how how holy how good is good enough how do we define what holy means in this context well david gives us four things here first he says they have to have clean hands okay this is the first piece of the standard they have to have clean hands so they have a lot of antibacterial soap around is that what that means no clean hands is is about what we do it's about our actions we need to be people whose actions are glorifying to god people who do the right things we're not talking about you know, things that make us feel good, the things that feel right to us, or the things that the world would approve of and think are good things. They're the things, the right things that align with what God's word has to say. That's the definition of the right actions. I can guarantee you that David and those around him, uh, when this psalm was originally sang, had no difficulty understanding this idea, understanding this concept of clean hands. Because their lives were focused on it. Okay, this was, this was the standard of righteousness for them. They were living under the law. And, and to be righteous meant to strictly follow the law. You had this big old checklist that you just tried to keep track of every day. And if you mostly succeeded and then offered the appropriate sacrifices when you messed up, you felt pretty good about your chances with God. Okay, that was holiness. That was righteousness. Keep the law, display an outward purity, 
David, David doesn't even stop there, right? He goes on. He expands the standard to more than just our actions. Okay, he says we also have to have pure hearts. That our motives must be right. So the righteous man isn't just doing the right things. He's also thinking the right thoughts. Now, this is starting to sound a little more like Jesus, right? Remember Matthew 5? Jesus said the law says not to murder. Okay, that's actions. That's clean hands. Not to murder. But if you hate your brother, the heart, you face the same judgment as those who murder. That, That blew people's minds. They were all over keeping their hands clean. They had built their life around not ever getting dirty, but they were giving little thought to their hands. Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs. They were pristine and beautiful on the outside, but inside full of death and decay. So what about us? Okay, does that, does that describe us today? Does that describe you today? Have you been plugging away so hard at doing the right things and just hoping your heart will come along for the ride? He has so much more than that available to us. It breaks his heart when we just try to muscle ourselves into doing the right things. He wants to purify our hearts. He wants us to know him and experience him at such a level that we are transformed from the inside out and that the actions of our lives overflow out of hearts that are purely for him. Yes, the righteous man has clean hands, but they come from a heart that's going after God. Okay, David goes on. He says that the one who is entering the presence of God also has to have a singular devotion to God. He does not lift his soul up to what is false. Or as the King James says, to, to, to vanity. He isn't wasting his time or efforts running around after the things of the world that have no eternal value at the cost of our devotion to him. We're not going to be satisfied with those things that are transitory or false, but instead we are longing to spend time in the courts of the Lord. So does that mean I can't play golf anymore? Does that mean I can't watch football anymore? Let me ask you this. I I, I tell you, I'm a huge football fan. It's July and I'm already pumped about next season, which is kind of sick, I know. I'm, I'm looking forward in August to take a couple days to go to Anderson University in Indiana where the Colts have training camp and just hang out and watch guys practice. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but it's true. I, I, I love football. It's, it's a big thing for me. So the question I have to ask myself is, is that impacting my devotion to God? Is it putting me into situations that I have to try and, and split my loyalty Am I lifting up my soul to it? Because if I am, I'm taking, my, I'm taking my eyes off the face of God. Finally, he says, we need to be a man of honor. Uh, concluding verse 4 there, he says, This righteous man does not swear deceitfully. He doesn't lie. He doesn't tell half-truths to make himself look better. He, he doesn't make promises he doesn't intend to keep. He's a man of honor and integrity. That can be really tough, right? There is one thing as a people that we are fully committed to is making sure everybody else thinks really highly of me. Okay, we hate to admit our faults. We hate to admit mistakes. And quite often we will do just about anything to push blame for something onto someone else or something else. Even if that means perhaps 
telling maybe less than the full truth. And when we do it, we take our eyes off the face of God. Okay, let's look here at verse 5 then as, as the psalmist just continues. He, talking about this righteous man that we just described, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Such is the generation. Okay, this is the calling card. This is the identifying mark of God's people, that we seek the face of God, that we are dwelling in the presence of God, standing in the holy place. And there we will receive blessing from the Lord. So what, we get a new house, new car, cool job? Is that what he means by blessing here? No, it tells us right here in the verse. Okay, verse 5. Blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. In the presence of God, we are made righteous. We are made more like him. Change. Transformation is available to us. Okay, first we have, we have the good news that the God of all creation wants to spend time with us. And now we have this great news that when we're there, he wants to change us. He wants to make us righteous. Oh, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. We, he wants to make us righteous in his holy place. But the standard by which we enter his holy place is righteousness. Huh. I, 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 thoroughly clean hands, uh, hearts of purity, singular devotion to God, completely honorable. That's the standard. Ask you this morning, does that describe you this morning? Forget this morning. Does that describe you at the best moment of your best day? Does that describe you? Because I can't say that that describes me. I, I would like to think that. I would like to believe that my loyalty to God is so complete without reservation and that my heart is just totally abandoned to him. But then every week I make decisions that, that put my love for myself above my love for the Lord. I'm lifting my soul to what is false. I, I remember when we first bought the house that we live in now in Groveland a couple of years ago. Uh, when we bought the house, we were given one set of keys. I know wisdom would say, go out and get another set of keys made right away. But we didn't do that. We just passed them back and forth. Whoever needed the keys would have the keys. And um, on Sunday mornings, we come at two different times. Heather doesn't appreciate my six o'clock start time. So she comes a little later. So we drive two cars. And uh, just a couple weeks after we moved in on a Sunday afternoon, I got back first and I didn't have the keys. So we're locked out of the house and that's, that's okay. I know she, I think she had to run to Walmart or something. She was delayed by a few minutes, but no big deal. We'll just wait for Heather. Well, she got there and you can probably guess she didn't have the keys either. So we had failed in our efforts to pass them back and forth. We were locked out of the house. So we, we did all the things you would normally do. We checked every window, checked every door. Maybe we accidentally left something open. You know, we contemplated busting one of the doors down that we really didn't like all that much anyway. We just moved in. I thought we'll just replace the door. But we didn't do that. We, we, we thought about dropping one of the smaller kids down the chimney. No, we <laughs> didn't, didn't actually do that. But we were trying to figure out, how do we get in this house? It was so frustrating to know that the keys we needed to get in were, were just on the other side of the wall. But we couldn't get there. Finally, I had to call a locksmith and... Just for the record, they're not real big fans of coming out on Sunday afternoon, not in the best of moods. But we did get finally into the home. 
But it was so frustrating to know that those keys we needed were just out of reach. Okay, we are made righteous in the presence of God, but the key to entrance, the standard that he has set is righteousness. And Romans 3 tells us that no one is righteous on our own. So what is God doing here? What does this mean? Why are we seemingly locked out of the place that holds the key to us becoming holy? I mean, Dave, David had a key, right? He, the, the law gave them access to God. It was, it was kind of a small key. It was, it was really limited. They could only get to God if they did the exact right thing, the exact right time. It might have looked okay on the outside, but it didn't transform their heart. Is that the best we can hope for? Is that the best we can hope for? That we can just follow a bunch of rules, strictly go by this guideline, and hope to occasionally get a glimpse of God. If that's true, then a lot of the good news we've been talking about maybe isn't all that great news. It's, it's okay. And, uh, but who's going to answer when the cry goes out? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who will stand in his holy place? Is the answer really no one? Is that really what God has in mind? If so, we've wasted a lot of time this morning already. Um, but thankfully, we have four more verses to go here. So let's look at the third step here, which is to open your hearts. Open your hearts. Okay, read, uh, let's read verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Okay, there is one. There is one who can ascend the hill of the Lord. The answer is not none. The answer is one. There is one standing at the door, fully ready to march through the gates and into the tent of the ark, into the very presence of God. He's fully capable, he's fully righteous, and he's standing there knocking. But if you get a knock on the door in the middle of the night, you don't just fling the door open, right? You, you ask a question. You identify yourself, right? So that's what they do. Here, uh, verse 8. Uh, who is this king of glory? Okay, who is it? The answer comes back, the Lord. L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, okay? The personal name of God, Yahweh. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Remember those battles you won with the ark out in front of you. That was me with you. That was me in your presence. It wasn't about some box or some prop, but it was the king of glory in your midst. And I'm standing here now asking you, open up the gates and let me in. Verse 9, he asks again, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The Lord of hosts. Forget having authority over the earth. He has authority over it all. All of the hosts of heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun, they all answer to him. And he is fully righteous and he is fully capable of entering into the courts of the Lord. And we need to understand this. When David wrote this, he was, he was looking forward to this. He was looking to the future for a coming Messiah who would be able to march through those gates. But today we have the awesome privilege of knowing him. Okay? To, to, to David, he was the king of glory. But to us, his name is Jesus. And he's looking for us today to open our hearts to him. 
So, so Jesus is fully righteous, fully able to come into the courts of the Lord. Yeah, we're still not talking about me getting into the presence of the Lord, right? I, I don't mean to be selfish, but we've talked about, okay, Jesus can do that, but, but what about me? Okay, two-minute theology lesson, and I'll, we'll move on quickly, I promise. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Okay, Jesus he knew, made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's what in theology they, they call imputed righteousness. That at the moment of our salvation, God no longer sees our sin, but he only sees the perfect righteousness of his son in us. While it is truly impossible for Larry Holt, with all my imperfections, to even peek into the presence of God, because of Christ in me, I can stand in the holy place and dwell in the courts of the Lord. It is an awesome, awesome privilege. He has handed us the keys to the locked house. And listen, this is not just any key. This is not just some tiny little ineffective key. This is a master key, a giant key to the city kind of key by making us holy before God. He has given us access to the throne, access to the king any moment of any day because God sees his righteousness in us. A quick danger moment here. So I'm perfectly righteous before God. So I am perfect. Right? Okay. Some of you don't know me very well, but a lot of you do. Am I perfect? Oh, come on. Really? Am I perfect? I am nowhere close to perfect. Okay. The worship team is too busy laughing to answer that question. Okay. I am not perfect perfect because here's the deal okay Christ's righteousness in me perfect but here on earth out in front of you i am a work in progress okay i am being notice the prog- the, the process here i am being perfected i am growing again a process in my righteousness but i am far from perfect and where am i growing where am i being perfected in the presence of a holy god where I receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of my salvation. And what is he doing in me? He's cleaning my hands. He's purifying my heart. He's sharpening my focus on him. And he's forming me as a man of honor. Christ's righteousness in me, perfect. My righteousness being perfected. Does that make sense? Okay, worth going after? Yeah, okay. Okay, the, the, the word picture here in verse 7 of the, the gates being lifted up is, is not somebody walking over to a door and turning the handle and opening it just enough so you could sort of shimmy through. Um, and it's also really not even just a picture of these big giant gates being hoisted up. The, the word here is, is really, it's more stretched and expanded. Like the thing that's going to walk through is so awesome, so mighty, so marvelous that the, the gates aren't even big enough. We got to stretch them and expand them. And that's what he wants to do in our hearts. He wants to, to stretch them and expand the capacity of our hearts to open up more and more of our lives to him. Look, there's no battering rams in these verses. Okay, it's not lift up the gates or I'm coming in anyway. It's not I'm counting to three and then I'm going to kick the sucker down. 
Okay, it's not that. It's Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is amazing. This is remarkable. God, creator God, right? All authority over me, God. And he's patiently waiting for me to open my heart to him. He wants to clean me, wants to purify me, wants to dwell in me as I dwell in his presence and change me from the inside out. So how do we do this? How do we actually go about coming into the presence of God? Well, Psalm 100 says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Okay, we come into the presence of God in a moment of worship, in a moment of adoring our Savior. As we cry out to him in worship, we can just step into the presence of God and open our hearts to the changing power in our lives. What I, what I don't mean by that is, oh, great, so once a week, I can come here and I got a rocking band behind me and I can worship God and then I come into the presence. Yes, absolutely true. But that's probably not the moment where you're going to have this sort of life change in your life. It's probably when it's just you and God. And it's probably without any magic formula there. There, there might be music. There, there might not. You might sing to the Lord. You might just listen quietly for his voice. It might not be quiet at all because you might be shouting to the Lord. You might be on your knees. You might be on your face. You might be in your car. It's not about time or place or position. I mean, when the psalm was written here, this was a, a lot about time and place and rules and guidelines. But for us, Jesus has met the standard and has given us access to him. The giant key to the city key. Access into the presence of God any moment of any day. The only question is, are we doing it? Are we taking advantage of that amazing privilege? I know it can sound a little scary. Uh, Tim just spoke a few weeks ago from Isaiah 6, and Isaiah's encounter with God as he stood before the throne. And what happened? Just all of his faults just came rushing in as, as God showed him all these places in his life that weren't clean. I guarantee you that wasn't a real comfortable moment for Isaiah. Standing in the presence of a holy God and, and all of his yuckiness and ickiness was just showing up there. But that was part of God's perfecting process for Isaiah. I think we often fear this experience. We fear the intimacy of one-on-one face of God. So instead we try to draw close to him through other means. We, we study really hard. If I, if I, if I learn everything there is to know about God, I might be able to close my eyes and, and recreate a picture of what his face might look like if I were to be in his presence. You hearing that? You hearing how convoluted that can get? Or, and this one's a tough one for me, but we can, we can just, we can work really hard. We can serve really hard. My, my act of worship will be service. So I'll just, I'll work really, really hard and hope that that counts as my act of worship. And it's, we end up being the story of Mary and Martha, right? Martha, who was running around busy for the Lord, trying to do everything she could for him. And all he wanted at the moment was for her just to sit at his feet and spend some time with him. So what is this going to look like for you? What is, what are you going to do with Psalm 24? Are you spending time in the presence of God? Are you spending time worshiping him? Opening your heart to his changing power. Maybe you've never accepted 
Christ. Maybe you're looking at your hands right now and they're filthy. And the idea of coming before a holy God is just ridiculous because you know you have no business being there. Let me tell you, you can be declared holy by God this morning. You, you won't be perfect. I mean, look around. Okay? <laughs> Not a perfect group. Okay, you won't be perfect. But in the eyes of God, you'll be made righteous today. Maybe you have been a believer for quite a while now. Maybe you've even known this has been available to you, but you've been trying first to clean yourself up. If I get my own hands clean, if I can just scrub my heart enough and get purified, maybe then I'd be acceptable to come into the presence of God. Look, if you have Christ in your heart, you can come anytime, wherever you are, come as you are. Just don't expect to stay that way, okay? Because he's going to change you in his presence. He wants to clean your hands. He wants to purify your heart. In his presence, there's strength, there's rest, there's joy, and there is change. Open your heart to him today. Let's pray.